Uh, Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, another opportunity to hear from you. I pray that you will speak to us through your word and help us to realize the importance of understanding what this uh, great book means to us today. Uh, Not in terms of all the trivial things that we get hung up on and argue about, but of the things that really matter about Jesus Christ and the end times. Help us to learn from you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And as I began my series uh, four years, I guess four years ago, um, I, I, I wanted everyone to know, we're, you know, there's a lot of ideas and concepts and beliefs about the end times and especially about things in the book of Revelation. That's not what this lesson, these lessons were meant to be. We're not arguing post-trib, mid-trib, no-trib, <laughs> Pre-trib. We're not. That, that, that's not what this is for. What we're wanting, what we've wanted to learn, as we, right from the very beginning, is about Jesus Christ and His Church, and uh, what this revelation is to the church. The revelation of Jesus Christ Himself. And today's lesson is from Revelation chapter eleven, verses one through fourteen. The calling. Uh, this chapter in Revelation takes us from the middle of the tribulation period to near the end of it. So it covers that last three and a half years of the seven-year period. And no period of time in Earth's history will be darker or uh, more sinister than this period of time. Evil will triumph uh, completely over righteousness during the tribulation. Uh, Yet in the worst of times, think about this, even in the worst of times, God has servants ready and willing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in that, we, we, he mentioned utter darkness in, uh, when we were talking uh, about one of the songs in worship this morning. But even in the midst of this utter darkness spiritually, the tribulation, there will be, the, there will be light. There will be light. Those uh, that will still be able to hear the gospel. So no matter what the, the situation, no matter how dark it may seem, the gospel marches on, uh, as does the church. This will be a different church, because I believe at this point the church is raptured. This will be a different church. These will be the, uh, the tribulation saints, uh, and so it will be a, a different matter. Uh, Arthur Preston said that the church has many tasks, but one mission. One mission, and what is that mission? What is the mission of the church? Spread the gospel. Jesus said, go to every part of the world and take the gospel to every creature. And the preaching of the gospel has occurred at the worst moments of human history, and it will be no different in the tribulation period. We must never underestimate the power of God's word. Don't you love when a Gideon speaker comes and talks about the word of God? Uh, and just the simple uh, picking up of a Bible in a hotel room or a New Testament on the battlefield or a Bible that's handed out in schools and how lives have been affected. No, no witness even of a person particularly, just God's word because God's word is powerful uh, now and it will be then as well. Uh, when missionary Ray Dibble and his wife left Nigeria at the beginning of World War II, they had just finished translating the New Testament into the uh, Igala language, if I, I hope that's pronounced right, Igala. Uh, there were only six typewritten copies of the New Testament and a handful of Christians when they left. 
But returning after the war, the Dibbles found 50 congregations from the seed that had been planted by the word of God. Tribesmen had made at least 100 copies of the New Testament by hand. Some pages were torn, so some tribesmen had committed whole gospels to memory uh, so that it wouldn't be lost as they continued to spread the word. And the believers were persecuted by non-believers and called the word of God people. Would that be a terrible thing? (laughs) If we were known as the word of God people, remember John Wesley's, what did he say? I'm a man of one book. I'm a man of one book, the word of God. So they never gave up and they deserved that title, the word of God people. We can learn from the calling of these two witnesses who were called to testify about God at the worst of times and that we can surely testify for Christ in the day and age in which we live. We think it may be difficult. We may think we've been persecuted, but we can share our faith. Uh, The Bible teaches us that God's calling to tell others about Christ will not cease until the final days of time. And it is a call we must all answer in the time in which we live. So, the first thing we see is the testimony of a servant's response. Let's look at verses 1 through 12, chapter 11 of Revelation. Hope you're better than your Bible teacher and you have your Bibles with you, or New Testaments, because mine's at home. Fortunately, I always write my scripture out. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months, and I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public, public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets have tor- had tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up and hear. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. I guess I better use the the PowerPoint since I haven't. The first thing we see is God's people in in this text. As John takes us to the midpoint of the tribulation, we see conditions deteriorate. And the Antichrist has desecrated the temple by setting up his own image in it. And the Jews now realize that the Antichrist is not the long-awaited Messiah. Uh, the light finally dawned on them. 
uh, when they see the, the uh, cruelty and the desecration by the Antichrist. So this event dramatically now changes the atmosphere on earth. And we enter the Great Tribulation, a time of unparalleled evil and judgment. And yet, God still desires to have his message, the gospel, preached. So God will raise up in Jerusalem two witnesses, uh, and they will testify for him to the Jews and to the world. And these uh, witnesses will preach for the last three and a half years of that tribulation period. And they, they preach of judgment for sin, uh, not a, a message that people really want to hear, even those uh, that have now experienced some of uh, the events of the tribulation and seen the rapture of the church, at least in my belief, that the church is gone and they've seen that occur. Uh, and uh, so this uh, wearing of sackcloth represents uh, this preaching on the judgment of sin, the sadness uh, because of the sin. And uh, God doesn't want, need a, uh, God does not need a vast army. He could raise one if he needed one. But he does not need a vast army to do his work. He doesn't need modern technology, even though it's out there. He just needed here two men, two men who speak up for him with his power. Why two? The Bible says that every matter must be established in the mouth of at least two witnesses. Two witnesses. And so that could be very well be the reason for two here. Erwin uh, Lutzer, the pastor of Moody Church, I believe. Isn't he still the pastor there? Uh, he, uh, he said that men look for better methods, but God looks for better men. <laughs> Isn't that great? God doesn't need a lot of stuff to, com- to accomplish his purposes. Just obedient people who will speak up with his word. So then we see in this also God's power. Notice that though the days were full of evil witnesses uh, for Christ, uh, these witnesses were given the power by God to witness for him. And nothing can stop them. Uh, God has ordained them to do the work of ministry, and not even Satan can hinder them or prevent them from preaching the gospel. So this raises an important point for us this morning. If Satan cannot prevent their ministry even when he appears to have full control over the earth, then we can be sure that he can't prevent the preaching of the gospel today. Because we have the Holy Spirit and and light and, and freedom that they won't have during the tribulation. So this means ministry can happen if we are simply willing to be used. And so the two witnesses we see here have the power of Moses and Elijah to shut up the heavens and cause it not to rain or to let it rain. Let it rain like we did on Friday when it rained. (laughs) It let loose. They have the power to, to, to close up the heavens, to open the heavens. It's given to them. And to have the plagues hit the earth like it happened to Egypt. We see... As I said yesterday, so many parallels in the book of Revelation with the Old Testament happenings and occurrences. We see uh, shadows of it throughout the Old Testament of the New Testament, the New Covenant. And here, uh, again, is one of them as the plagues. uh, They're permitted to uh, have plagues on the earth that uh, are done by these two witnesses. 
Uh, there would be supernatural manifestations following their, their preaching. Uh, as, and a similar promise is there for us in the New Testament today. We can't expect to do great things when we preach the word. And God will confirm his words with signs that follow, according to uh, Mark sixteen seventeen. So they are committed to preaching in spite of all the pressures, all the things that are going on during these last days of the tribulation. It's uh, been said that C.S. Lewis fell into grace. But instead of simply entering a monastery, he did worse. He ended up publicly explaining and openly defending his personal God to millions of listeners and readers. Such undignified behavior embarrassed the hierarchy at his college, Oxford, and cost Lewis his chance of ever advancing to a higher position on the faculty there. Lewis learned that if you speak about beauty, truth, or goodness, and about God as a great spiritual force of some kind, people will remain friendly. But he found that the temperature drops when you discuss a God who gives definite commands, who does definite acts, who has definite ideas and character. So while not always the popular thing to do, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is the mission of the church. And so the responsibility then of every member of the church, not just the pastor or someone on the staff, it's every member of the church's responsibility. And these two witnesses preached with the Holy Spirit's power and enablement. So certainly the image of these two witnesses as two olive trees that we saw there in verse 4 would indicate that God's Spirit was their supply as olive oil is often used, what? As the symbol of the Holy Spirit and His anointing, is it not? So if we had to depend on our abilities, surely it would never work. (laughs) It would never work. But God promises His power so we are sure of, of success. We just need that revive, that revival that was talked about last night. The freshness of the Spirit on us to enable us, to empower us, to do His will. Uh, Oswald Chambers said that people say that it is so hard to bring, peop- bring uh, Jesus Christ and present Him before the lives of men today. Of course it is, he says. It is so hard that it is impossible except by the power of the indwelling Holy Ghost. You see, it can't be done on our own. It has to be through his power in us. The preaching of the gospel is not dependent on our abilities. It's anointed by God's Holy Spirit. And so nothing then can stop it. Uh, It never returns void. Look at Isaiah 55, 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So we can realize that God's word will never fail if it's empowered by the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, The third thing uh, on this point is that uh, God's plan in this portion of Scripture. Notice here that God's plan includes a witness to the whole world that the gospel will be fully preached. Only then is Satan allowed to kill these two witnesses after all the world has been given the message. Only after the task is finished 
Think about that, the task being finished. You see, because Satan is not in control. God is. They were not allowed to be killed until God permitted it. And the lives of these servants were protected until they had accomplished all that God had intended for them. So that should tell us we do not need to live in fear of the enemy. How many cower thinking about what the enemy would do. But we do not need to live in fear of the enemy. God's hand on our lives is so powerful that only when we have completed God's task does our time on earth end. My grandma, my grandma Hufford always complained to me she, she wanted to go home to be with Grandpa. She was in her 90s, and I, I could understand that to a degree, uh, that she felt like perhaps her mission was done. And I would tell her, as often as I saw her, I said, Grandma, I know who, that you pray for me and every one of your children, your grandchildren. I know you're praying for us every day. Your task, your job is not done yet. And that's what it's saying here in this, to us, these witnesses. Until the work was done and accomplished, it was not time uh, for them. So uh, the world was critical of their message, which, of course, no doubt included judgment. <laughs> People don't like that. Remember the prophets in the Old Testament. People hated the message and the messenger <laughs> because it was judgment many times uh, because of the sin of the, and disobedience of the people. And people don't like that today. They don't like to hear uh, about judgment. They don't like to hear that there is a price to pay for the sins that they're committing and the, and the things that they're doing. It certainly is true today as well uh, that people do not like uh, that message of judgment. And that's why many of, of our churches that preach that kind of message have a harder, uh, uh, a harder time to draw people. The, the ones that talk about health and wealth and, you know, pat you on the back and, you know, God is love and all, you know, with all the fluff and puff that's out there today, they seem to be able to draw because there's no talk about judgment. But there is judgment. And that's what these witnesses were preaching. And, of course, the people of that day who were living through the tribulation did not want to hear it. But they did not hesitate to tell the whole truth. One of the things I've, told, I've said from the pulpit many times in my 27 years in ministry was this. If I don't preach the word of God, if ever I say something is not the whole of God's word, throw me out. I don't belong here. Because that is so important that we preach all of God's word. We don't leave out the stuff we don't like. And that's what the world would want us to do out there today. I'll come to church if you leave out this or leave out that or if you don't condemn me for this or condemn me for that. But the Bible is in whole to be taken and preached. And they didn't hesitate, no matter how unpopular they were for preaching the truth. So if we're afraid to witness because we don't want people to think badly about us, then what are we doing? We're just letting people go to hell. If we're not, if we're not witnessing and sharing our faith, and, and sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we're just letting, permitting people to go to hell, that we might have an opportunity to influence and share the good news with. One day a lady criticized D.L. Moody for his methods of evangelism and in, uh, the way that he 
uh, won people to the Lord. <laughs> it's, that'd be pretty lousy, criticizing you for the way you won people to the Lord, wouldn't it? But his reply was this: I agree with you. I don't like the way I do it either. Tell me how you do it. <laughs> and the and the lady replied, I don't do it. And Moody said, Then, then I like the way my way of doing things better. That, and not your way of doing it. And isn't that true? It's not the way we do it. It's getting the job done. The way that the Holy Spirit enables us. Aren't we all different? Yeah, we are. Isn't it good that we're all different? And God uses what we have. And, the, and different means of, of sharing the, the gospel and the good news. Or encouraging people. I remember when my dad passed away back in 1989. It seems unbelievable it's 28 years but um, my mom received hundreds of cards it was, it was a great big ba- wicker basket on the coffee table she had a coffee table we talked about coffee tables yesterday and she had a coffee table and on that coffee table was a great big whisk, wick, uh, wicker basket hundreds of cards my dad had pastored probably 50 churches in 10 years and uh, you know I've been around so not really 50 but he'd been a lot of different churches and it was amazing it took uh, something like that then people you know were sending cards to mom and uh, it was several months later she went really got into the cards again and was able to read through them and saw all the encouragement and all that because of everything that was going on my dad died in the middle of an audit with the IRS and so we had to dig up Five years of trying to—I was trying to help her get her taxes straightened out. And it was five years of a big mess, and all that. So she had a lot on her mind. But after that period of time, about three or four months later, she sat down and began reading those cards. And after that, began a ministry of sending cards to people in different times—not just in in uh, the loss of a loved one, but illness, uh, birthdays, other things like that. It, it became her ministry. Uh, we can share our faith in many ways. We can share Jesus in different ways. And, and simple as a card ministry or uh, 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 talking to them on the phone, sharing with them on the phone, an email today, you know, not, or text or whatever all they do. I, I don't even tweet. I don't tweet. I don't, uh, the birds tweet when I, you know, in the, when the window's up in the morning, I hear the birds tweeting, but I don't, that other's tweeting, I'm not sure about what that is. Oh, I forgot to move that forward, too. Uh, <clears throat> I'm always behind on the PowerPoint. If, if I don't put it up, yell at me. Uh, but we can use different methods. We're not all the same, but God uses what we can do to effectively minister if we'll allow him. So the proof of the message uh, here was witnessed by the whole world when these two witnesses were resurrected back to life. Wouldn't that have been a, an amazing thing? It says the breath of life that you talked about, the breath of life was breathed into them again, and then they were raptured to heaven. In the end, the message we preach will be authenticated by God's power to raise the dead. That's the great hope, isn't it? And this was uh, the proof of Jesus' claims and message. When he rose from the dead, it settled the issue of whether or not he was part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead. And so these two servants, though despised by, uh, who were despised by the world, are honored by the Lord, and they're raised up back to life as evidence that they were sent by God with the correct message. Satan could do nothing about it. 
(laughs) Satan could do nothing about it. It simply states that when God raised them back to life and took them to heaven, their enemies looked on. Isn't that something? He has control. We We ought to rejoice in that this morning. God is in control. And we have the power of God behind us, the one who is in control. The second part of our lesson is in verses 13 and 14, which is the tragedy of a shallow response. I like alliteration too. (laughs) Sometimes you really have to stretch though. Anyway, verses 13 and 14, at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed uh, in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. First, we see a great panic at the moment of of the witnesses uh, being caught up into heaven. There's a great earthquake. uh, And that causes one-tenth of the city to collapse, killing 7,000. And we we just, uh, a mudslide in China, I think, uh, yesterday. And uh, a number of people still missing, they think probably... Uh, over 100 people dead, 100 and some, you know, we think that uh, of a tragedy. 7,000 were killed here uh, with this earthquake at that moment. And the result of it causes fear uh, with the survivors. Uh, but they did something interesting here. I, it almost, it makes me chuckle when I read things like this in the Bible. God has a great sense of humor. They gave glory to the God of heavens. <laughs> you know, this is in the middle of the tribulation. <laughs> and... Uh, so have they finally done something about their sinful lives as they witnessed God's power to raise these two witnesses back to life and take them to heaven? Has God's power in the earthquake caused them to rethink uh, their relationship with God at that moment? Well, the answer to the above questions are a resounding no, unfortunately. While they briefly are willing to offer glory to God, they're not willing to repent of their sins. A lot of times people recognize God and his power, but and every time there's some kind of tragedy, or at least in some cases in the past, they call on the nation to pray. You know, and for a period of time people, you know, think we we need to get back to God, we need to you know talk to God about it. But do they really repent? Do we really see repentance, a real change in the behavior? No, unfortunately, it's just you know, a time when we, we, we think about it, but it's become less and less, to me it seems, of an emphasis on those things, even in the midst of tragedies uh, that the nation is called to prayer. Uh, their last-minute decision to, to glorify God doesn't really uh, represent a change of heart. It just represents their realizing that God somehow, I believe, is uh, intervening, and it's just kind of an emotional response. An emotional response. Uh, but there must be more to worship. <laughs> this is where I have trouble with some of my contemporary friends. Con- we're going to use contemporary a lot this I'm, I have a feeling a lot this week. I have problems with a lot of my contemporary fr- It's not about the words to the music or that they use contemporary music. But if it's only an emotional movement and not a spiritual movement then what is the good? And that's my problem with it, okay? Not the music. I, 
you know, I'm as hard to change as the next guy, but I believe that change is inevitable, and we all have to learn to change if we're going to survive uh, this, this planet. But uh, it's not about the different styles that bo- bother me. It's, if it's only an emotional reaction, then we've got a problem because it needs to be a, a true spiritual reaction. Something needs to be done. To them, here, it was an emotional response. There was no repentance. God wants to be more than just a God of a crisis moment. And he, he wants to be a God of a crisis moment, but he wants to be more than that. He wants to be the God of our personal lives through the power of his Holy Spirit. An insurance agent received a call from an excited woman. She said, I want to insure my house. Uh, can I do it by phone? And the man, the insurance man said, I'm sorry, but I'd have to see it first. And uh, she said, well, you better get here right away because the place is on fire. You know, it's, sometimes it's too late. <laughs> and it's tragic that these men and women did not repent of their sins, even in the midst of the fire. You know, the, the tragedy that's going on in the world at that point. Uh, and realizing that God is intervening as he raised these two witnesses, took them to heaven, and then left the earth uh, in the midst of this great tribulation. You see, miracles alone will not convince anyone to accept Christ. And we saw that in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, they, they followed him for his miracles, not necessarily for his message all the time. And that's the problem. There must be conviction in the heart uh, that, they, that they realize they need a savior uh, and a transformation can, be, can then take place. Think of the many Pharisees and others who saw Jesus perform miracles and still didn't believe. You see, because faith is not always born from miracles. It is born from the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So for three and a half years, these people heard the truth from God's witnesses. They observed God's supernatural power to protect these witnesses. They saw God's power by miracles done by their command. And such things as plagues and heaven shut up with no rain. And finally, they see God raise up uh, these two men who had had, uh, been killed and been dead for over three days and then uh, raptured them into heaven. And still, and still, they don't really believe and repent. What does it take for you to believe? That's an interesting question for us, isn't it? Hopefully I'm preaching to the church this morning. You know, we, what did it take for you to believe? Did you only glorify God but fail to yield your life to Him? Maybe initially, is God real in your life today? What's going on? We were talking about testimony meetings. And in the old days, you, you could almost quote some of the testimonies because it was the same one. Well, what's happening today? You know, 50 years was a ago was important but today is more important today is more important it's relevant and so what's happening in our lives today do we still believe so the last thing we see is the great predicament in spite of all these things there's still more coming and yet without positive results this is only the end of the second woe and the third is about to strike 
There is every indication that those who have hardened their hearts already will not change, even after another round of God's prodding. And remember, that was not atypical. That's exactly what happened to Pharaoh when the plagues were struck. Uh, He yielded for a moment and then relented until the final one with the death of the firstborn. So seven years of the Antichrist ruling has not yet caused sinners to turn to God. And that's a real sad reality uh, that we see even in uh, the things that are going on in our own nation. uh, That that people, despite all that's going on, have not repented and turned to God. But the good news is this. There's always good news. Though Satan and his servants have tried for seven years to destroy God's plan and take over the planet, they are about to be finished. The good news that's coming. Antichrist and Satan have not been able to destroy God's word or the light of the gospel. Think about this again when we're talking about darkness. There isn't enough darkness in all the world to put out a single candle. I was a meter reader for uh, 17 years before I became a supervisor. And when he talked about utter darkness... Is nothing like, uh, I don't know, anybody remember uh, about 20-something years ago when the earthquake hit Akron? Anybody remember the, uh, that day? I was in the basement of a, store, of a store in downtown Akron when the lights went out. <laughs> when the, and you talk about darkness, you couldn't, I mean, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. You couldn't see anything. You, so I simply stood still until I, they must have, hit the breaker, but eventually my eyes kind of uh, were, I was at least able to see the motion of my hand, but it, it's like he said, you can almost feel the darkness, you can almost feel the darkness around you because you can't see anything, but a single candle puts that darkness out, so even in the midst of all the darkness, we are to be a light that shines and not put under a bushel. We are to be a light that shines because one light can bring much light in utter darkness. Satan will fail, so why then should we follow a failure? And so the final woe will come quickly since this is now already at the end of the seven years of tribulation. It will be the third and final woe and God will usher in an age then of righteousness. Why not be part of God's plan instead of Satan's plan. We don't even need to be here during the tribulation if it should happen to come in any moment. Today, we have a choice. Today, we have a choice. The gospel or sin. And the world has a choice. And we can offer them that choice as well and ask them if they hear God's call then on their lives. You see, God's calling on his servants never change. Preach the gospel to every creature. And so even then when the world becomes the darkest, God will raise up witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And only after they have finished the task will they be called home. Are we witnesses for Jesus? Any thoughts this morning, questions, comments? I think the book of Revelation is a great book. I feel sorry for the guys that avoid it. (laughs) Tomorrow we're going to talk about the conqueror. 
the conqueror. And that's Revelation 11 and 12. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be reading. Uh, some days there'll be a lot of scripture. So we have to. To me, I, could, uh, I, I understood why they spent so much time reading scripture in the temple. Because it, the, the words can speak to you without me elaborating. Uh, and so it's important that we read it, that we hear it. And uh, I remember in my uh, course on the Pentateuch that I took from uh, Reverend Smith, uh, he asked if anybody wanted to read. We were reading, you know, doing a passage of scripture. He said, would anybody like to read that? I raised my hand. I love to read the Bible. And, uh, and, I read, and I read the passage, and he came up to me after class. He said, you read that like you really enjoyed that, you know, reading that. I said, I'd love to read God's word. I'd love to, to hear it. You know, I, uh, I have often uh, thought about getting a set of uh, the tapes by Johnny Cash. Didn't he read the Bible on uh, cassette? On, and then there was another guy uh, that did it that has a real good voice for that kind of thing. But just hearing it, you know, because uh, one thing I enjoy is hearing the word not only read but preached. Because when I'm in a pulpit, you know, like 48 weeks out of the year, I'm listening to myself. And I'd rather listen to somebody else once in a while. So I enjoy Cammy. <laughs> I enjoy hearing it from someone else. And uh, I hope that God has blessed you through the word today. And that certainly you have looked to see what your calling is. You, we, we said last night, I think Jonathan said it, maybe you said it, there's no retirement plan in the Bible. There's not, it doesn't talk about retirement in the Bible. Uh, we talk a lot about retiring. I retired when I was 60 from, the, uh, from Ohio Edison, uh, and, but definitely not from God's work. It never ends. Because God has a plan for you today. And... Uh, the, the key to it is whatever that plan is, whatever we can do for the sake of Christ is important. It's important. So thank you. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day. Don't forget, 6 o'clock tonight. <laughs>